Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from the Richmond, Virginia area. By the way, an area that's near and dear to my heart. I went to high school in the Richmond, Virginia area. We have a walking, talking miracle on the phone. Her name is Cheryl Nietzsche O'Connell, former Richmond, Virginia police officer. Cheryl, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Jay. Now, earlier on in email, you advised me I should refer to you as Nietzsche. That's what everybody calls me. All right, we'll go with Nietzsche then. You are a miracle. You, you're one of these people that suffered an absolutely horrific injury in a violent assault as a police officer that a lot of people don't recover from. That's true. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way of putting it. I I, I worked with a, a guy in the Baltimore Police Department that... He worked in a different district. I didn't know him personally. His name is Gene Cassidy. And Gene got shot in the head, I believe it was a 38 revolver. And we didn't think he was going to make it. Uh, he did. He survived. He had a host of, of severe injuries, blindness, a few other things. But it never slowed him down. It never stopped him from contributing and having a full life. You pretty much had the same thing happen to you. There's no, there's no pretty way of saying it. Uh, my doctors called me Miracle Girl. I was shot from three to five feet away with a three fifty seven Magnum weapon with a thirty eight caliber load. The bullet was aimed for my temple. Should have taken me out. I was looking down at something, reading something with my back against the wall. I was blindsided in an ambush attack by a man that was wanted for killing his wife, sister-in-law best friend and ambush attack in a Hanover County deputy over what was a three-day killing spree. He had more people reportedly on his list, and I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, wearing the wrong clothing, and I represented everything and everyone that he blamed for his marriage having failed. 
So he shoots me. I go down. I don't lose consciousness. I temporarily lose my vision. It looks like somebody's pouring a gallon of paint over this blurry picture of East Broad Street where I'm working off-duty in uniform at the Richmond Marriott, which had ironically not opened very much before this attack took place. I had a picture of him on a wanted poster in my back pocket. Never saw it coming, not provoked, not trying to arrest him, just just a real odd situation. Some bystander came out of nowhere. He was CPR, first aid, trained, I'm assuming, because he knew everything to do. He put me into a recovery position, picked up my police radio, called for help, started doing direct pressure because the bullet had entered my left temporal area. Because I moved my head, it missed my temple and it went in, knocked my TMJ joint out by my left ear, went down through my mouth, and lodged an eighth of an inch from my carotid artery on the right side of my neck. You never saw this coming, did you? I heard a big boom. I was right near where the generator was housed. My initial reaction was, oh my goodness, I wonder if the generator blew up. You know, I, I didn't realize I'd been shot. I hear people screaming, running. I hear this man on my radio saying, you got an officer down, I need some help, I'm at the Marriott. And I'm like, wow, I wonder who got shot. <laughs> you know, it's it's not clicking. Um, obviously, I went into shock. Next thing I knew, I got my vision back and I was in the back of the ambulance. My sergeant is in the back of the ambulance with me. He looks like he's seen a ghost. I'm like, still talking. I'm like, what happened? He's like, you got shot in the head. And I'm like, no kidding. (laughs) You know, it's still not clicking. So off we go to the hospital. Uh, There's all these offices lined up, and and they wouldn't let anybody in to see me, not even like my best patrol buddies, my, my best friends, or anything. They let the detective in. Next thing I know, they're rushing me out to surgery. Everybody's giving me the thumbs up and, you know, you got this girl and still kind of in shock. So we go to surgery. And uh, next thing I know, I'm on life support in ICU. Really strange things that happen when you're fighting for your life and you're really not sure what happened the the Um, amazing thing about this but i'm actually blown away that you recall these things that i'll be honest with you at my ripe old age i forget a lot of things but i know certain really violent things i've been involved in i didn't i don't forget the details but somehow i want to put them away somewhere so i don't have to deal with those memories and nothing was as radical and dramatic as what you went through I would love to put them away. However, every one to three years, I have to rip those wounds wide open and relive the events of that night as I go to the parole board to beg and plead my case on why this serial killer, this cop hater, this this psychopath should remain in jail for another one to three years. I will have no 
no closure until he hopefully behind bars dies of natural causes how old were you when this happened to you i was 24 i had been on the police department two and a half years moved down here from boston to pursue my career in law enforcement and i am the richmond police department some um, only female officer ever shot in the line of duty it's rather ironic because women were relatively new in law enforcement back in that time and a lot of people were very shocked when not only i survived six months later i returned to work got back in my police car and hit the street running again cheryl you're an amazing person uh, amazing story of recovery we're going to talk more about what happened to cheryl we're going to talk about what she had to go through to get to where she's at today there's so much to this story you don't want to miss this portion of the show is brought to you by the true crime fighters podcast there are countless true crime podcasts, but few tell the stories of those that fight true crime. Episodes are usually 15 minutes or less. Subscribe today for free. Do a Google search for True Crime Fighters Podcast or go to truecrimefighterspodcast.com. Be sure to like and follow them on Facebook. Do a search for True Crime Fighters. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. I promise you, you don't want to go anywhere. We'll be right back. In the podcasting world, there's a huge amount of interest in true crime stories. Don't believe me? Check. There's hundreds of them. But very few tell the stories of the heroes that fight horrific crime, whether it be law enforcement officers or everyday citizens. So we decide to rectify that. We tell their stories on the True Crime Fighters podcast. That's right. It's called True Crime Fighters podcast. Do a Google search subscribe today each episode is no longer than 15 minutes long also be sure to search for and like us on facebook search for true crime fighters podcast this portion of the law enforcement today show is brought to you by mr james mather from synergy financial with all the uncertainty and violence in the news it's extremely important to start adding financial security to our lives as a former law enforcement officer, James Mather will always have your back. For free information about insurance, retirement, college funding strategies, and more, go online to mrjamesmather.com, spelled M-R-J-A-M-E-S-M-A-T-H-E-R.com. Again, that's mrjamesmather.com. Back to our conversation with Cheryl Nietzsche O'Connell, former Richmond, Virginia police officer. Uh, in 1984, I believe it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Cheryl, you were shot in the head. You had severe life, you said fighting for your life. Uh, you survived, obviously, because you're here talking to us about it. But it, it, there's a lot of lifelong injuries, physical and otherwise, that go with this deal. And by the way, if you hear any kind of audio disruption, we've had to use special equipment for Cheryl because one of the long injuries is hearing loss from being shot so close to your ear, correct? Yes, I have a hearing loss in my left ear with a bullet. 
entered. It's not the type of hearing loss that can be corrected with a hearing aid. Basically, I have an ear on the outside, but not a whole lot on the inside of the ear. I'm going to go back to 1984. Well, before we went to break, you said this is a time when, at least in Richmond, uh, women were not... They're just growing in numbers in the police department. In, in Baltimore in 1980, when I started, probably about a quarter of my academy class was female. And we were growing. We had every walk of life you could imagine. And women were a big part of the department, uh, much larger now. Richmond, for those of you who don't know, is the stereotypical South. Uh, I went to high school there. I love Richmond. It's a beautiful city. I know the area you're talking about where you were shot. Uh, Those sort of things aren't supposed to happen. And I'm sure when you were shot back in 1984, people were A, alarmed that a police officer shot. But when they found out there was a female police officer, they were probably up in arms. Uh, I will tell you one thing. One of the main reasons besides the good Lord above that I'm still here was the astronomical amount of community support, inquiry. I still have all of the cards that were sent to me, everything. It was just beyond belief. Quick, funny story, okay? I'm in ICU. They have police guards on my door, outside of surgery, because this guy is still on the run. They don't have him in custody yet, and they're afraid that he's going to show up at the hospital and try to finish what he started he had actually approached me with a friend about maybe a half an hour or so before the incident took place he didn't say a word he was in a jogging suit like a royal blue with white stripe with a red stripe in the middle down the leg he looked like he hadn't showered or shaved he didn't look well kept at all and he was with another man who was expensively dressed designer jeans expensive shoes wearing a corduroy jacket a floppy hat and the other man did all the talking he was like um What time do you get off work? And I was 24, relatively attractive. And I'm thinking the man's trying to hit on me. And I'm like, you know, reverting back to my training. Like, whenever they tell me I can go home, you know, (laughs) you know, what are you doing after work? Oh, probably going to meet up with my boyfriend. Look, we'd love to talk. But y'all go inside, enjoy the evening. I've got to get back to work. And that was that. They walked away. The next time I saw Kenneth Wayne Woodfin, the man in the jogging suit, was when he walked up to me at approximately 11.20 p.m. on Friday evening, October 26, 1984. He hands me a note. He says, here, my friend asked me to give this to you. He wants you to read it. And I remember saying to him, oh, would your friend get shy all of a sudden? Ha, 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 you know. And I put the note in my pocket, and I watched him walk away, and I just kind of shook my head. So after he was gone from view, about five minutes later, I opened that note up, expecting it to say something like, hey, you know, my name is John Doe. Here's my number. Give me a call. Let's hook up. But it didn't. It said, a marriage is social and holy. 
and I just read the first line. And I showed it to the young lady beside me who was collecting funds for valet parking. And I'm looking around for, for the man who was later identified as Kenneth Wayne Woodman. And I'm like, does that make sense to you? She's like, I can't even read it. I put my head down and I read the first line again. And he had scaled back along the side of the building and through a little brick inlet. And that's why I didn't see him. And I had brought my head back up after reading that first line again, a marriage is social and holy. And that's why the bullet didn't go in my temple. That's why it went in right by my TMJ joint and knocked that out and went through my mouth and down through my neck. I, I can't begin to imagine what you went through that night or afterwards. And by the way, I don't, I don't know of anybody that did time in policing that didn't encounter people that were off, you know? And that's what this guy sounded like. But there's nothing about what you described that made the alarm bells go, something's really wrong. That note... Man, I'm telling you, when you told us what that note said, what was written on it, it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It was also signed by Nat Turner. And I didn't find out till later the remainder of that note was actually a threat on Woodfin's wife that he killed, her brother-in-law. This guy had already killed when he, before he encountered you. He'd already killed people. Yes. He had started on Wednesday the 24th. He had murdered his wife in Petersburg, shot her like eight times, and dumped her body after abducting her in the cemetery, Jean Whitaker Woodfin. She had somewhat a secret marriage. She was married to him. Things were not as they were supposed to be. Actually, I saw pictures of him later on prior to when I encountered him. He was a relatively attractive man, very charismatic personality. You're, you're a textbook psychopath. Yeah, I, I think of like Ted Bundy. When I hear explanations like that, they go, well, he didn't look like a killer. He didn't look like a, a serial killer monster. And my response is, what do you expect them to look like? They work hard to make sure they fit in, that they don't stick out. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. We are talking with Cheryl Nietzsche O'Connell, former Richmond, Virginia police officer who was shot in the head and survived. Hey, folks, when you have a chance... Check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click like and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. 
In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. This portion of the show is brought to you by the True Crime Fighters Podcast. There are countless true crime podcasts, but few tell the stories of those that fight true crime. Episodes are usually 15 minutes or less. Subscribe today for free. Do a Google search for True Crime Fighters Podcast or go to truecrimefighterspodcast.com. Be sure to like and follow them on Facebook. Do a search for True Crime Fighters. Return conversation with Cheryl Nietzsche O'Connell. She prefers to be called Nietzsche, and she is a former... Richmond, Virginia police officer, back in 1984, October 1984, you're working secondary approved employment, or is what we just called it, in uniform, correct? Right, off-duty, city-assigned. And this man who, and I use that term man loosely, there's no other way to describe him, I could use a lot of different terms that would fit, but wouldn't be appropriate for the FCC. He'd already murdered his wife, he is already a killer, he approached you, uh, he well, handed you a note, and he came back a little bit later on when he started reading the note, and then he opened fire. Let me give you a, uh, just a little bit of a trail of how things went down. He murdered his wife Wednesday in Petersburg, abducts her at his mother's house where they're having a release from jail party for his half-brother who's just been released from jail for committing armed robbery. Now... His wife had married him. She was a school teacher in Caroline County, and they lived in Ashland. And um, he's pretty much self-employed. What she doesn't know until she marries him is that he's dealing in drugs. He's got weapons. He's running porn reportedly. Next thing she knows, their, their home is getting hit with the search warrant. She had already separated from him and was living with her sister and brother-in-law that were trying to help her escape from the situation. So they both get arrested. She agrees to cooperate with the police, tells them, look, I don't have anything to do with that. I'm afraid, I'm in fear for my life. She gets out of jail, they hold him. He gets out on bond eventually, and he has her car. So with her sister, she travels down to the mother's home to retrieve her car, thinking that will be a safe area. He's not going to do anything there. Well, she was wrong, unfortunately. He abducts her, drives her in her car to the Petersburg Cemetery, pumps her full of lead, goes back to his mother's house, gets his sister-in-law, makes her ride in his wife's blood on the car seat, drives her back up to Richmond to where she lives with his best friend, who ironically 
was the son of a Goochon County deputy sheriff. Wow. He kills both of them. Then he heads back to Ashland around two in the morning, approximately. He pulls up at a red light next to a Hanover County deputy who's a canine unit. He goes to shoot him in the head, but the dog senses danger and starts acting up in the back seat. So Deputy Sheriff Shum turns around to see what's going on with the dog, so it misses his head and hits him in the shoulder and the arm. He gets on the radio calling for help. Everybody comes out of everywhere. A pursuit entail ensues and Woodfin bails out of the car and into the woods along one of the highways. So they get the car with the blood and everything else, but they don't get Woodfin. He's still on the run. So he takes a, a little bit of a reprieve and then he shows up Friday night down at the Marriott and that's where I encounter him. So when now, you encountered him, he'd, he'd already shot four people. He killed three and, and shot yeah. one uniformed officer. Killed his wife, sister-in-law, best friend, ambush attack, Hanover County, deputy sheriff. And then he comes down to the Marriott. Now, the irony is his brother-in-law, Henry Boshan, Sergeant Henry Boshan, was also supposed to have been working off-duty at the Marriott that night. He was down there looking to kill him, is what law enforcement and the investigation determined. But Boshan wasn't there. In that note he gave me, it was a direct threat against Boshan and his wife against their life. So they immediately, RPD immediately got word to Sergeant Boshan, got him and his wife away from their house because they were worried that he was going to go to their house. Absolutely. And I'm sitting there thinking, Nietzsche, that after he shot you, and I didn't know, and here's the really amazing part for people who don't know, even though I was policing in Baltimore, which is only a couple, three hours north of Richmond, uh, we were alerted quite often when officers in other areas were shot, especially if someone's wanted. I don't recall this at all. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not saying we didn't know about it. I'm just saying I don't recall it because it's so long ago. But when you start talking about these details, everything about this horrific attack and assault on you is magnified by the amount of violence this guy's perpetrated on so many other people. And he wasn't done. He was not done. He eventually turned himself in to a Petersburg lieutenant who was a longtime family friend the following day. The irony in that is this lieutenant didn't tell anybody on the police department that he was going to meet this wanted murderer, multiple murderer, and somebody who had tried to take out two law enforcement officers. He just went to this place, met him, Woodfin turned himself in, and he brought him back for processing. He has no idea how lucky he is. 
or maybe he does i i because i can't fathom that at, at all either it you know this borders on a novel a dime store novel when you talk about things like that occurring look when mm-hmm. i was policing and i'm sure you had the same thought we were well aware of the dangers we we're well aware of the threats of all the things that could occur to you but we didn't go around thinking that could happen today and uh, when bad stuff did happen it was afterwards that that i'd react to it and feel the effects of it because it usually happens so quick but we, i don't know if it's a protection thing nietzsche where i just didn't sit around thinking hey today could be the day where bad things could happen and i would never expect working at a hotel off-duty uh, secondary employment approved by the city that some of that was even remotely possible you think it only occurs you get a bank robbery call you got a stolen car or domestic you don't think it's going to come searching you out absolutely the, the events that night that were happening was the university of richmond homecoming and the episcopalian ministers convention it was a fun job. It wasn't even like working a bar where you might expect a barroom fight. And you got to remember, too, we're we're talking back in 1984 when officers weren't getting shot or people weren't trying to kill the police as often, unfortunately, as it occurs today. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Cheryl Nietzsche O'Connell former Richmond, Virginia police officer who was shot in the head, survived this law enforcement show. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All too often, we find ourselves getting asked, where can I find other great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Because of this, we decided to create our own network of podcasts here on Law Enforcement Today. You can access top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and free app. Head to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you will find our network link where we will continue to add podcasts from first responders and more. Remember, that's letradioshow.com to find out more information about Law Enforcement Today, our podcast network, and to download our free app, letradioshow.com. Don't miss the huge Back to Blue and First Responders Parade and Rally in beautiful Key West, Florida, Friday, January 8th, 2021. Active and retired law enforcement officers and other first responders from all over the U.S. and the world, bagpipers and more, will all be at the great Back to Blue and First Responders Parade and Rally in Key West, Florida, Friday, January 8th, 2021. Get more details on the Facebook group Back to Blue and First Responders. That's Back to Blue and First Responders group on Facebook. And get more details here on the Law Enforcement Today Show. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, retired Baltimore Police Sergeant, and I'm joined by a former Richmond, Virginia police officer, Cheryl Nietzsche O'Connell. Back in October 1984, she was shot in the head and face with a 357 Magnum revolver, survived, and uh, lifelong catastrophic injuries as a result. I'm just kind of blown away, to be honest with you, Nietzsche, when you're talking about this, and I really do not like giving any kind of publicity to someone who's a stone-cold killer uh, or terrorist or anybody like that. I, I just don't believe in doing it. And I, I think that, and sadly, all too often, when, when our law enforcement people are shot, especially in the head, 
and, and face it, they don't survive. And we don't get to hear their stories. So when people like you do survive and recover for your new normal, so to speak, the, the fact that we get to talk with you about that, I'll be honest with you, I'm very, very inspired and, and moved by you taking the time to share that with us. Well, I was always taught, Jay, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And as I told people, they were like, why don't you just retire? I'm 24 years old. I moved down here. This is my life. This was my dream. If I retire, then he may as well have killed me because he's taken away my life. Oh, no, I'm coming back. I'm coming back stronger than before, and I am going to become a voice for the victims. Because what a lot of people don't know is initially the city of Richmond, they're self-insured. They did not want to cover my medical bills under workers' comp. Because of the strong amount of community inquiry, support, and the fact that the Colonel Order of Police also got me a wonderful attorney, they did the right thing and they covered my medical bills and my work as comp. I was only out of work for six months. Ironically, they had me followed by a private investigator for three days. I'm like, really? Did you not see me on life support? You think I faked a gunshot wound to the head? That's, that that really? is so not um, surprising. We've had so many officers, even today, that have been severely injured in the line of duty and their departments don't back them up. Uh, and I, here's one that kills me, especially this time of year, we have elections, and one of the things they'll always say is, you know, it's those evil corporations who don't take care of people, blah, blah. And I always say this, the biggest offenders are cities, counties, and state government with their own first responders. The lack of, of taking care of them is mind-boggling. When I was in the academy, Cheryl, I'm sure you heard the same thing. If something happens to you, we'll take care of you. We got your back. We'll make sure the family's okay. What that meant was if I was killed in line of duty, they'd be taken care of financially. What it didn't mean is if I was injured in line of duty, that I'd be taken care of. When that happens, quite often, you're on your own. Well, that's unfortunately very true. And you know, you're led to believe that if anything happens, they're, they're your family, man. They're going to take care of you. I will say this much. My family was treated like gold. My mom, when she got into town, they picked her up. They brought her to the hospital. Still very, very good friends with Sergeant Dave Haywood, who was assigned the responsibility for, you know, taking care of my family and taking care of me and making sure everything was okay. We're still very close friends, still keep in touch. He did a phenomenal job as far as taking care of my family when they got into town. And I don't want to give the wrong impression. People will misread what we say. When I get upset about this, it's not the rank and file. They are our family. When we talk about that, I'm talking about admin and city hall and the bean counters. That's who the real troublemakers are. But enough of that conversation. You made it back to work, which in and of itself is mind-boggling as well. And the irony, Jay, I got taken out of a position in Special Operations Task Force that I had earned my way to prior to getting shot. 
And that same admin that you're talking about, the major in charge of patrol, put me back in patrol working Churchill in an area where the guy who shot me had a drug house. Because his theory was if you fall off the horse, you have to get back on. Now, you know, there's usually an unwritten rule that, you know, you get hurt in the line of duty and you come back, man, you write your own ticket anywhere you want right, to go. Automatic right. promotion to detective division or whatever. That's And that's the way it should be. They should take care of those people that, that have been catastrophically injured like you. But often that doesn't happen. And I, I could... I could literally scream at some of these admin people because either they forgot it was like to be on the street or, quite honestly, a lot of them are what we call mobile report riders. They never did anything, and they really don't understand. But I don't want to waste valuable time talking about parasites like that, all right? I'd rather talk about people like you because, see, here's what I know that a lot of people don't know. Your career with the Richmond Police Department ended but you continued on, you're now a social worker helping people, right? Correct. I went back, I stayed for about another two and a half years. I was actually gonna go to law school to become an attorney to help first responders injured in the line of duty to protect their rights. But what happened was I did my pre-law and social work, ended up getting married, and taking a different route. So now I work with people with disabilities and I help them find employment. I make sure that their human rights are not violated. I advocate for them and I absolutely love what I do. But I also run Richmond United for Law Enforcement and that's an organization we we have a great community base and that is designed to bring the community together with law enforcement. Because as I told you earlier, that community support was a big part of why I came back. My community was behind me. And that's why the city decided to do the right thing because they did not want to look bad in the eyes of the community because I was ready to hold a press conference with my jar all messed up and my head all messed up. I had an additional surgery that required a craniotomy. I still have scrap metal on the outer cortex of my brain. And I would have done a press conference right there at Fifth and Broad. The city doesn't want to pay my medical bills. I don't know what to do. And I would have done it. You know, you live through getting shot in the head. You see things a whole lot differently. And, you know, law enforcement officers have somewhat of a sixth sense of humor. And my thing used to be like, what are they going to do? Shoot me in the head? And can you do it on the right side? I'll have matching holes. You know. (laughs) You're amazing that you do this. And and then every couple of years, you have to go to the parole board and face this guy. This is a man... Again, as a term, I can't use the appropriate terms I'd like to use. But this is a guy who who murdered three people, shot another officer, and then shot you trying to kill you and the other officer as well. And every couple of years, he's up for parole, which should not be the case. 
No. Unfortunately, he was convicted prior to parole being abolished for violent offenders, which recently here is another joke. Yeah. We're going to have to have you back to talk about that. We don't have enough time because them paroling the guy who killed a Richmond officer or a state trooper, I can't remember, back in the 70s is inexcusable. And the whole Governor North and that whole crew up there, I never, ever thought I'd see the kind of stuff going on in Virginia that's happening today. Cheryl, Nietzsche, O'Connell, you are a source of inspiration for old guys like me. You are an amazing person, amazing uh, police officer. I want to thank you so very much for spending time with us telling us your story on the Law Enforcement Today show. It's very much appreciated. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate you having me on. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.